This is the Foodies Reviewing Movies Podcast. Each week, a couple of my friends and I get together and talk about two topics near and dear to our hearts and stomachs, food and movies. Each episode, we want to give you a taste of not only some of the interesting dishes we were able to indulge in and would like to recommend, but also the movies we had a ton of fun watching. Let's dig in. Halloween edition. I'm Callie. And I'm Jonathan. Thank you, John, for being here. Also, I wanted to start off by saying a big thank you to you, the listeners. We have been seeing the number of downloads and listens steadily grow, and it's just awesome to see that you're enjoying the podcast and that all the hard work is paying off. Also, please continue to help our numbers grow and share the podcast with your friends, family, anyone who you think may enjoy it. Also, a bit of exciting news. We've gone worldwide, John. We've gone worldwide. We now have listeners not only in the U.S., but also Spain, Sweden, and Germany. When I saw that we had a listener in Germany, which was also our first international listen, I messaged you and you said that you thought you had a strong suspicion of who it could possibly be. When I asked you who you thought it was, you said... Lars? Yeah. So our first episode was the heavyweights one, for anyone who maybe is a few episodes in here now. We love Lars, and we want an origin story. Hashtag, whatever the hashtag was. Yeah, Lars or hashtag Lars origins, whatever it was, it doesn't matter. Either way, Stephen Brill, we're still game for that. We would love for you to consider it, so please, please just... Just think about it, okay? (laughs) Anyway, I just wanted to say we appreciate you listening and spending time with us listeners. You let us talk about two things we love and we're really grateful for that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Well, as I mentioned, this is our Halloween episode and we're going to be talking about 2017's Little Evil. But before we can talk about the movie, since it's Halloween, let's talk a bit about one of the best parts of the holiday. The candy in our amuse-bouche. Halloween candy is something that many of us look forward to each year. So I thought it would be fun for us to discuss our favorite Halloween candy from both childhood and adulthood. John, what were some of your favorite candies you would receive when you went trick-or-treating as a kid? Ooh, I... I really like the chocolate stuff. Mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. like, you know, Reese's, Snickers, Milky Ways. So I like them. I just didn't like the sizes they came in. Yeah, they never were big enough, were they? Were yeah, they? there's the the quote-unquote fun size. Fun size. That really aren't as fun, you know. I feel like they should put fun size on, like, the, you know, the jumbo size ones. Because those are the fun ones. Those are the fun ones. Yeah, whoever came up with the names, they reversed those. You yeah. Know? Well, my favorite Halloween candy now is pretty similar to when I was a kid. I've always really liked... Reese's Cups, Milky Way bars, the fruit-flavored Tootsie Rolls, Airheads, Nerds, and Rolos. Though, as a kid, I really did like the Three Musketeers, but now, not really so much. I think they're okay, but they're not ones that I immediately will gravitate towards. Well, John, what about now as an adult? Which ones do you favor? Uh, still the same. I feel like I, my, my taste hasn't changed too much. I feel like, if anything, I kind of like the, the sour ones, mm-hmm. you know? Kinda like, sour Patch Kids and yeah, stuff. Yeah, anything with a good sour punch to it, I enjoy. Yeah, I do like those now as well. I also do like the Caramel Apple Lollipops. Those are really good, too. I, I feel like those are very seasonal. Never want them, like, anywhere, any other time besides fall. Mm-hmm. I agree completely with that. Now, also something else that is a fall candy need to get your feelings on candy corn, John. <laughs> I have a feeling we may actually have a difference of opinion in this. <laughs> if you could somehow make sugar taste bad, candy corn has found a way to do it. Like, it's nothing but sugar, but mm-hmm. it's not good tasting sugar. I don't know how, but it's... I somehow am okay with it only near Halloween. Like, if you give me some candy corn, I'll stomach it and yeah. I'll eat it, but... I'm not going to go out of my way looking for candy corn. Right. Like, if it's in a bowl at a friend's house, I'm going to take a couple pieces yeah. out of it just because it does set me up for, like, the Halloween spirit like people yeah. do with, you know, the pumpkin spice yeah. and stuff like that. Mine's the candy corn. 
I don't know. Maybe I'm a soulless individual because I like candy corn during Halloween, but... I mean, I just waxy sugar and mm -hmm. it's just where where's the flavor i mean there's flavor it's just sickly sweet that's why i only can have a couple at a time but some people really do enjoy candy corn or at least they're trying to convince themselves they do so where does it stack up on the list of most popular candy well it doesn't according to thrillist.com at least they made a list of 30 best Halloween candy of all time, and they published it at the beginning of this month, so it is up to date. I thought it would be fun to go ahead and get your take, John, on the top 10, but quickly, just wanted to give honorable mentions to the top 15, but unfortunately, they didn't crack the top 10. Starting at number 15 and working our way up, we have Baby Ruth, M&Ms, Flavored Tootsie Rolls, Heath Bars, and Starburst. Now on to our top ranked Halloween candy. Number 10, Hershey's Bars. Well, yeah, I mean, feel like that's kind of the, oh crap, what do I go with? Uh, here's, <laughs> here's just pure chocolate. <laughs> right? Yeah, like I'm not gonna turn it down, but I'm also not gonna go to the store and buy a bag of Hershey's unless I'm getting s'mores ingredients. Well, number nine, Reese's Pieces. I feel like I like those more than regular M&M's, but mm -hmm. I'd rather take peanut M&M's over those. I feel you. Okay. How about number eight, Nestle Crunch? Yeah, kind of the same line of, you know, along the Hershey bar. Just, hey, here's a little, you know, crispy rice pellets inside. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. All right. The next two. Okay, I don't necessarily agree with the placement of them on this list. I wouldn't put them at least in my top ten. When I think of these two candies, I envision a big bag of assorted candy, and these are the ones left after it's been scavenged through and all the good ones have been picked out. Number seven, Mr. Goodbar, and number six, a hundred grand. All right, so we do 100% disagree. <laughs> yes. I feel like whenever you get those bags, just like, it's kind of like the peanut M&Ms for the Mr. Goodbar for mm -hmm. me. Like, it's just so simple and it goes well so good. I, I feel like, you know, with my family, when mm -hmm. we ever get those, those are always like the first ones picked through. Okay. And okay. I feel like you never like see the full size one. So whenever you get like the little mixed up bag, mm -hmm. that's the only time I get it. And I, I, I think they're very, very underrated. Okay. Okay. I can respect that. I do like that we have a difference of opinion. And that. you said the hundred grand. Hundred grand. Yeah. Are those? I just. I'm a. I don't know. It's like ninety percent caramel. Yeah, <laughs> it's just so gooey. Yeah, so. It's just so sweet. It's just you know that and the crispy rice and the chocolate. Mm -hmm. It's just so extra and so unwanted, and that's why I love it so much. It's like here, here's some caramel for you to here's choke a on. Molasses. Yeah, and we'll here's some survive. chocolate and crispy rice pellets. Have at it. A hundred grand has been literally doing Darwinism for children since uh, whenever it was Korean. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like I'm a pretty fast eater when I eat one of those. <laughs> it, like, it, it like takes me 10 minutes. <laughs> it's just, it's too much. It's too much. Okay, let's move on to number five, which is Butterfingers. Yeah, can't go I, wrong with there. Oh, have you had the Butterfinger peanut butter cups? I have not. Oh, snap. Look, if you can find them, I suggest picking up a bag. They, they're just really good. They're different. For those of you who've been listening from the beginning, you've probably figured out by now, I'm a big fan of peanut butter. And while Reese's cups are my favorite, these are really good. And they put a bit of a different spin on the peanut butter cup. So if you can grab some, at least try one. Hopefully someone's handing them out and you can just, you can get a sample of them. All right. So number four, Kit Kats. Yeah. Number three, Snickers, which I know you're a fan of. Yeah. Number two, the runner up position is Twix. I like Twix. And our number one, the one that reigns supreme, in my opinion, is Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. As I just mentioned, <laughs> I love them. They're my favorite. I'm, I'm intrigued to see if these stay the same or shift a bit next year. And also, if you haven't seen this floating around on social media yet, look up Chris Fleming's Halloween Countdown. 
He posted it back in 2014, but honestly, I think his sassy review of Candy has and will stand the test of time. Well, let's go ahead now and move into our apps haps. In our movie of the episode, Gary and Lucas enjoy a couple ice cream cones together. John, what is your favorite ice cream and is it the same as when you were a kid? So one thing I hate is when people say like there's a certain thing that's the best ever, like best bagels from New York City, you have to go to New York City, you know, right. the best pizza is in, you know, New York, you have to go to the little hole in the wall. I absolutely hate it when people say like, you know, something is for sure the best in the world. So with that's out of the way, the best ice cream in the world is none other than I'm just happy I live near the city because they produce it is Grater's ice cream and not just one particular flavor. I just, every time I have it, like whenever I have Grater's, like eight out of 10 times, I always go this route is the black raspberry ice cream. Like there are other ice creams good, but this ice cream is like kind of on a God tier. Like, oh. like if he, if he were to tell me that there is a better ice cream in the world than the black raspberry from Grater's, I will call you a liar. <laughs> and there's a good chance it might get physical. <laughs> John is serious about this ice cream. Well, tell us more about it. Give us a little rundown of it. I've had like, you know, plenty of ice creams, like strawberries, stuff like that. This mm -hmm. is another kind of fruit flavored, you know, yeah. ice cream. Just the black raspberry. It's just, I don't know how, it, it just tastes like black raspberry. It's so good. It's just so, it's a very distinct flavor. It's, it's just so sweet and tang to it a little bit. Yeah, here. fresh on your palate. It's just, it's just so good. And not only that, <laughs> but they're chocolate chips. So one thing that's interesting, because I'm going to give you all a, a history lesson here okay, about graders, good. is what makes graders so good is they make it in small batches. Mm. They only make it two and a half gallons at a time. Oh. So it's very small. So they take their time. It's called a French uh, pot process. So this means it's going to be a lot denser. There's a lot less air in it. So that mm -hmm. means that's more flavor, yeah. more, you know, kind of, you know, sugary, cream, fatness in it. You know, where all the good stuff comes from. Because of that, it's, you know, denser, it's thicker than your regular ice cream. And you get more flavor because of that. Yeah, I mean, anytime I've had graters, I've always thought it's been really flavorful and really creamy. Uh, do you know how long they've been around for? Uh, like over a hundred years. Wow, that's impressive. And the fact that we have them representing our region, they're based out of Cincinnati, that's just really cool too. Uh, well, has that always been your favorite flavor or was that one that you started to like as an adult? I feel like as a kid, I didn't appreciate graders at the time. So I feel like my appreciation for graders was kind of as I became an adult. So when I was a kid, I mean, I think by uh, whatever, you know, chocolate was my go-to. I didn't mm -hmm. have a go-to like... The black raspberry from Graders is right now because I feel like, you know, as a kid, I was a fool and didn't know what greatness was at the time. You just didn't know. That. Yeah. I was, I was like, oh, ice cream's ice cream. No, it's not. <laughs> there are tears. Yes. There are tears of ice cream. Had you ever had Carvel? You know what? Okay. So what is that? There's like 300 plus locations. It's been around since like 1920s and it's known for its ice cream cakes, sundaes, shakes, and they're distinctive, crunchy layers. And wait, there's a location in Kentucky. Where are you at? In Smith's Grove. Hmm, guess who's got to get some fudgy the whale now? I have no idea where that is. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about fudgy the whale, okay? So peralipo.com, and that's spelled O-O-L-I-P-O.com. Their description is as follows. A legendary ice cream cake to satiate the gourmet soul. The enticingly fragrant vanilla ice cream, decadent fudge, befitting crunch, luscious chocolate ice cream, and the delightful sweet frosting is a palate pleaser. And something you'll probably need an insulin shot for afterward, but it's delicious. And it's actually mentioned on the hit show The Office when Andy was saying what kind of cake he was wanting when they were going around asking about that. So if anyone has ever been curious about what Fudgy the Whale cake is, that's the description of it. Carvel was definitely a staple from my childhood, and I just really enjoyed getting ice cream from there and from Twisty Treat in Sanibel Island, Florida. The building was shaped like a giant ice cream cone, and I always liked to get a chocolate and vanilla swirl with caramel drizzle on top. 
while some may say that's a fairly simple treat, that's okay because sometimes the simplest things in life are the best. As for my favorite ice cream now, it's another local business, Crank and Boom. I've mentioned them previously on the podcast, but have yet to do a full in-depth spotlight on them just yet. I'm going to go ahead and save that for a future episode, but uh, what? look, it's so hard to decide, but my favorite flavor from them would probably have to be their peanut butter and jelly. And it's only available in the fall when the kids go back to school, so it's just... A seasonal item which makes me sad but also makes me appreciate it when it's here and the ice cream it's just this perfect mixture of sweet yet slightly tangy and tart it has this not too sweet peanut butter ice cream that has had fresh locally made strawberry preserves swirled throughout it it's so good So anyone who's in the Kentucky area and you're here during August, back to school time, check it out. It's fantastic. Well, we're just really lucky to have these two great businesses locally and recommend them if you're coming from out of town and visiting. You need somewhere to get a cold treat. Those two places are great choices. Well, let's go ahead now and move away from the ice cream and sink our teeth into our movie, Little Evil, in our cinematic entree. Parks and Rec's Adam Scott plays Gary, a new husband and stepfather who, as you can imagine, is going to be facing some fairly difficult challenges here in his new role. But none will quite compare to the fact that his stepson is the Antichrist. Gary has just married Samantha, who's played by Evangeline Lilly, and she has starred in Lost and Ant-Man and the Wasp, amongst several other things. She has a five-year-old son named Lucas, who's played by Owen Atlas, which he was the young Sherlock in Enola Holmes, which was on Netflix. And let me tell you what, (laughs) this kid does a great job of being downright creepy, I must say. Well, we get to join Gary and a couple of the movers as they get ready to help Gary move his stuff into Samantha and Lucas's house. And I just really like the exchange between him and the fellows because they're they're sitting there, they're talking about their girls, and then they pull into the driveway. They have sort of these really surprised, shocked faces come up, and they're like, you're moving in with her? And he's like, yeah. And they're like, damn, homeboy, lock it down. <laughs> I'd put up with the demon child if I could, you know, marry Evangeline Lily. I feel like that's a good trade-off. I mean, I can't blame you. She's a pretty lady. So... We have him move in and Gary is trying really hard to get Lucas to like him. As I feel like most step-parents probably do. And they start talking about their wedding and Gary is saying that he hopes that the wedding wasn't too traumatic for Lucas. And Samantha sort of is sitting there agreeing with him. So we find out pretty quickly things haven't exactly been the easiest for anyone. (laughs) There isn't exactly marital bliss going on and a nice family union happening right away. And uh, the movers bring this wooden crate into the garage that has a soapbox car in it that Gary has brought for him and Lucas to work on together. And it oddly resembles that of a casket. I did like it at the beginning, kind of the foreshadowing. Yes. Where, you know, show cuts the feature where mm-hmm. he's buried inside that box. Then yeah. they get the movers moving the box like, oh, what's in the box? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't want to say what happened in the opening scene until we got to this. I mean, the opening scene really just sets the tone for what we're about to deal with, that things are not good. Gary was getting dug out of this wooden crate that we're now seeing, and he's yelling at Samantha that he's wanting a divorce. And of course, there's rain for dramatic effect. Then we rewind to one week earlier, where Gary is trying to fit in and implant himself into this already existent family unit, who already have their own routine and way of doing things. So at this point, his biggest concern is just getting Lucas to like him. And that proves to be fairly difficult, especially when Lucas won't really even make eye contact with him. And we see that on full display as Gary's driving him to school one morning, trying to start up conversation with him, and he's just not having it. Which John 
how would you feel if you were dealing with your new stepson not even looking at you as you're trying to talk with him? I mean, I know you said whatever, it's fine, and you deal with it because it'd be worth it if you could marry Evangeline Lily, but for real, like, how do you think you would feel when you were in this situation? I mean, I feel like, you know, there could be worse things that could be happening. <laughs> like what's about to happen? Yeah, you know, yeah, like, oh, he's not talking to me. All right, you know, at least he's not talking to me too much. He's <laughs> not talking down to me. He's not talking back to me. Fair point. All right, all right, okay. Well, we then head to the office with Gary. He's a realtor, and, and while he's there, we get to hear a phone call between him and their wedding photographer, Carl, who's saying, look, look, Gary, you really need to see this footage. And Gary's like, no, it was a terrible day. We'd rather just move on and not look back. So he hangs up the phone and continues on with his work day. We get to meet one of his coworkers, Al, and Al is betrayed by Bridget Everett from inside Amy Schumer and Lady Dynamite. Al considers themselves a stepfather and one of the guys. What was your first impression of Al, John? So overall, I like the idea. I like the character of Al. Mm -hmm. I just feel like the actress, Bridget, feel like she wasn't playing it as I would have liked to have seen it play, if that makes sense. I feel okay. like... She wasn't hitting the marks, you know. I feel like I didn't feel her fully committed to being Al. Okay, so I mean, if there's anything she could have done a bit differently, what would you have liked to have seen? I don't know. I just feel like her intensity, I feel like it wasn't there. I feel like she was kind of like whisper shouting. Ah, so you wanted more. Okay. Yeah, like I just didn't feel like her heart was into being Al. I feel like, like I said, I like the idea of Al. I like the character of Al. I just <laughs> feel like her performance of Al, I wasn't fully there for. I honestly was fine with the performance. Al is my favorite character because the lines are fantastic. And I thought she did an all right job with with this role. But I would be interested to see more intensity. I I, I would like to see her a bit more boisterous. Yeah. I just wanted, like I said, I like the idea of the character. I just mm -hmm. didn't care for how it was, you know, executed. I gotcha. So so we've met Al, and now we're going to head to a real estate listing with Gary where he's meeting up with this really creepy reverend guy at an old nunnery. And you were telling me a bit about the actor Clancy Jones that plays Creepy Preacher Man before we started recording, John. Let our listeners know who exactly this guy is. So his biggest, well, I guess his second biggest role Came from the movie Shawshank Redemption. He was the one of the guards in there, like the main bad guard in there. And his biggest role, he uh, he's from a little TV show. He voices a character from a little TV show called SpongeBob. Mm -hmm. uh, he's Mr. Krabs. I feel like most people who are under the age of 40 and watch Nickelodeon growing up know exactly who this guy is. And while he plays good old Mr. Krabs in SpongeBob SquarePants, He's creepy AF in this movie, <laughs> and boy, does he do it well. There are just certain things that he says and the way he says them that starts to make you think, okay, there's something going on with this dude. He's not quite right. Like, there's one part where he takes this, this deep breath in, and then he says, I just love the smell of an old-fashioned nunnery, don't you? As, like, the whites of his eyes show. Who says that? Who says that? And at that point, you can see Gary is just, like, slightly uncomfortable. And he's like, um, okay, are you are you going to buy it or what? And, and the preacher does buy it. And then next we see Gary has to go to school to pick up Lucas because he's gotten himself into a little hot water. Lucas has gotten in trouble for telling his teacher to go to hell. And then something really peculiar happens immediately after that. So he told her to go to hell and then she flung herself out of, I believe, the third story window and impaled herself on a fence. John, if you're being told this story by the principal, who's also accompanied, by the way, by the school psychologist, how might you react? Well, what I say, teaching's a tough job. <laughs> that is what they say. If I was sitting there hearing this, I would probably initially think, wow, that's a weird coincidence. And then probably just store that away for later. 
So while he's there, Gary is told that not only does Lucas need to go see a therapist, but also that he does too. And he's just sort of like, why do I need to go? I'm not the one who did anything. And they just sort of indicated that because he's a new part of the equation, that maybe he could be impacting Lucas in a not so positive way. And just the tensions that come along with a new family member. So he goes home. He talks to Sam and is telling her just about how crazy the day was, what happened, and she gets super defensive. Like, more so defensive than you need to be. I mean, were were you getting that from her at all? I did like her kind of constant denial of the whole situation. Mm-hmm. I felt like that, denial. <laughs> that was some good comedy from it. Like, no, he's just a little boy, you know. Yeah. He can't do that. Like, it's never his fault. Right? I mean, she's just so eager to ignore the blatant truth. And there is a reason behind it. We find that out later. But it just at first you're like, woman, what are you doing? And, you know, we're seeing it from the perspective of Gary, who's just learning this as he goes. So we're all sort of scratching our heads a bit. And Sam pretty much just tries to distract him. And she's like, look, you need to go make amends with him. Gary, you need to go make up with him. And so he somewhat reluctantly heads up to Lucas's room. He gets up there and it's a bit unsettling. (laughs) There's a lot of weird stuff in there. And then we see Lucas who he has his face pressed up against the TV screen, but there's nothing playing. It's not like a kid who's just sitting close to the TV screen. There's snowy picture. There's nothing going on with the audio that you can hear. And there's definitely nothing with the the video. So he's like, Lucas, Lucas, what are you doing? And then all of a sudden emerges the go puppet Reroy and just slowly turns to him and then goes, get out. And I mean, I would have done the same thing because Garrett, you run. You just run out of there because that was creepy. And I don't think the word creepy will ever be overused when it comes to this movie, let alone also movies with children who are usually supernatural, like children of the corn kind of thing going on. Uh, the Omen, all of those. But he he runs out of there, understandably so. Well, then we get to one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which is the stepdad therapy session. John, why don't you go ahead and lay this scene out for us? So it's kind of, it's kind of set up like an AA meeting. Well, I've never <laughs> been to any meetings like this, but they're in a circle. They talk about their issues. You know, uh, Gary goes there. He's like, oh, I'm not here to talk. I'm here to watch. They're like, nope, <laughs> you got to talk. So he just talks a little bit about his experience. They're like, you think that's bad? <laughs> you hear what my kid's done, you know? Yeah, and they just sort of try and one-up each other and really just see who has the worst circumstance possible. I feel like they do that successfully. Oh, I do too. Al really does a great job of setting the bar, letting us know these are the interests that they had when they were a kid, and now their stepson Jeremy is not sharing that interest, and it's it's all about what kind of car they wanted when they were growing up. Well, I I like this joke because... <laughs> Al says he wants an El Camino, El Camino which yes. is, you know, Spanish, mm-hmm. while listening to Rush, a Canadian band, <laughs> saying, you know, that's the American dream. That's a good point. I didn't even think of that. So, I mean, really, these guys are just exchanging these tales of torture. You know, one guy is like, oh, I got girls, twins. They wake up every morning literally plotting ways to torture me. Al mentions how Jeremy peed on his khaki pants, and they just keep going back and forth and there's one that in particular I really like it's my favorite one and I feel like is the worst besides for Gary's setup but it also is part of my favorite quote so I'm gonna leave that until the end well then we move on to the birthday party which the stepdads from the therapy group do attend the party as well so it's nice Gary has some friends and a little backup now We have nothing too out of the ordinary going on at this party. 
at first. <laughs> Everything seems to be going well with the music, the bouncy house, and the water guns, but then they got a clown involved. John, what happened with the clown? Well, I feel like who hires a clown still to this day? I feel like they have that certain stigma to them. Mm-hmm. They're creepy. Yeah, but uh, this <laughs> this clown, he's juggling in front of Lucas, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, to Lucas's entertainment. It's not entertaining enough. Yes. And so he uh, somehow drops the club and gets catches on fire. Well, as one can imagine, this would be a pretty scarring situation for a child. And Samantha and Gary definitely heard about it from numerous parents who called upset. So they found out that uh, Child Protective Services would be dropping by the next day. So that makes them a bit nervous and uneasy, of course. And all the while, though, Gary has this moment replaying in his head of the clown telling him as he's being carted off that the kid made him do it. Gary decides that maybe it would be a good idea if he watched the wedding video (laughs) and looked a little further into that. We then go and meet Carl, the wedding videographer, who's played by Tyler Libine from Reaper, which, fun fact, in the show, his friend's name is Sam, and Sam was the devil's son. So, little connection there, perhaps? Maybe, maybe not. I just thought it was fun. Well, Carl shows Gary the video footage, and we see the tornado just tearing through the backgrounds of the wedding, and there, standing feet from the camera, untouched, hairs still perfectly in place, and creepily staring is Lucas. Okay, so he is in pristine shape, yet your uncle just got sucked up off the ground into the tornado. So at this point in time, would you be thinking, hmm, okay, this kid's just got really great hairspray today? Or are you thinking, maybe this is the spawn of Satan? I mean, I feel like he probably closer to the spawn of Satan. Mm-hmm. I feel like one thing that makes Lucas so creepy in this movie is just his hair. Yes. Yes. If I look at the actor with any other hairstyle, he's not creepy anymore. I feel like it's the bowl cut. Yeah, like, you know, the hair that doesn't move in the tornado. Like, there's there's just something kind of about that hair. Like, it's, it's not like... Usually kids with long hair are cute, but mm-hmm. his hair isn't cute. It's very, uh, I don't know children of the corn definitely children of the corn and at this point i'd probably be freaking out a bit and be like oh my god i just married this woman who birthed lucifer's son great so gary goes home to tell sam all that he discovered that day and she straight up just completely dodges his inquiries and distracts him by offering him a massage John, as they're sitting there talking, she mentions exactly how Lucas came about. Can you lay out the events that transpired during that time? Uh, basically talks about it kind of like being, you know, her college years. Like, you know, she's impressionable. She went to this whatever satanic thing and mm-hmm. there's warm red body paint and she doesn't remember the rest. I think that can solidify anyone's hunch, including Gary's, that this is Satan's son. And giant nod, by the way, to Rosemary's baby here. And earlier during that meeting that Gary had with the principal and the therapist, the therapist's name is Dr. Farrow. I believe after Mia Farrow herself, who stars in Rosemary's baby. Well, Gary decides to go ahead and explore things a bit further with the help of Al. They go to where the ritual was held. Definitely a very Da Vinci Code vibe. I mean, there's a guy flagellating himself. And then there's a statue of Mary. And she starts to cry tears of blood. And that was pretty metal. Like, I'm, I'm into heavy metal and stuff like that. And there's some bands I like that are kind of, you know, <laughs> into that same imagery. So mm-hmm. I thought it was awesome. I mean, it, it was a little hardcore. <laughs> and uh, they are then sent after all of this. To go retrieve Gozamel the Demon Hunter. Uh, John, were you at all surprised by Gozamel by chance? I mean, yeah, kind of. I felt like they did a good job of whatever 
uh, kind of, you know, fishing you in, thinking mm-hmm. he's going to be this big guy, just do the old switcheroo. Agreed. Yeah. And and we do learn that Gozumel's purpose in life, the reason why he was born, was to kill the Antichrist. But unfortunately, he doesn't stick around quite long enough to be able to help Gary out with this problem that he has. So Al and Gary have to take matters into their own hands and use Gozumel's knife to smite Lucas. Well, little tidbit for you, a little fun fact. The CPS lady is there, and she is waiting for Gary to get home, is currently talking with Samantha and one of their friends. Well, she's played by none other than Sally Fields. I was thinking when I saw her that she looked very familiar, like the first time around, like when I saw her, thinking, is that... Is that Forrest's mom? <laughs> yes, it was. And also, speaking of moms, she's also the director's mom. Ah, so that's how uh-huh. he was able to get her. Because I felt like she was yep. a pretty kind of big-time actor for kind of like a smaller budget movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they had like recognizable faces and people who have been in a lot of things. But Sally Fields was a pretty big person to get. Yeah, so which, yeah. If she's your mom, I feel like that's pretty easy to get her. Yes, yes. And I don't feel like it would have taken too much time for her to do the filming that she did because, mm-hmm. you know, she was in a few scenes, but not the whole movie. And while the CPS lady is there, a series of events occur that leads us to the opening scene where Gary is buried alive. After the CPS lady leaves, Samantha goes to look for Gary and she finds out just in the nick of time that he is buried in the backyard. When he gets dug up by her, he's reaching the surface and is yelling, I want a divorce. Your son is the Antichrist. And once again, this woman is just full-blown denial and actually even starts to blame Gary. Starts saying he wasn't trying to spend enough time with Lucas. He wasn't trying to reach out to him as much. Woman, please. That man, from what we could see, was trying to do plenty. Well, Gary leaves the house and at this point, divorce is a real possibility. So Gary goes to talk to Al, tries to get some advice, and... They end up deciding that Gary's got to kill Lucas, plain and simple. And since he doesn't really want to use the knife to do it, then maybe he should just take him to the water park and drown him. John, tell us about this scene. Well, I will say up until this part, I thought the movie was kind of decent at best. I feel like mm-hmm. from the water park on, the movie gets a whole lot better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they <laughs> go to this really weird water park that has like, all these weird games and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Just the weirdest water park I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Looks pretty cool. But they go and they actually have some father-son, you know, bonding moments. Yeah. And can actually see, oh, you know, hey, Lucas actually seems to like him now. So mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that was kind of one of my favorite parts was seeing their bond grow together, you know. Yeah. Kind, of, kind of heartwarming and touching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And this is actually a, a real water park called pioneer waterland i almost said wasteland (laughs) pioneer waterland and uh, they they used a lot of the actual attractions at the park for the movies but yeah they were having fun they were playing uh you know water gun tag and probably the funniest thing is when he's like okay now it's time to drown him but i'm not sure if i should do it or not Puts like the floaties and the the sandbag floaties yeah on his arms and then Lucas just takes off like a bat out of hell down that slide. Gary's realizing, oh no, I shouldn't do this. Luckily, he is able to get uh, our our little buddy out of the water beforehand. But Reroy, the really creepy goat puppet, is now gone. And you just see the, uh, like, I like the touch with the sandbag sort of floating there in the water. I liked that shot quite a bit. To me, I think the creepiest thing about Reroy is how dirty of a sock he was. Yeah, he was really filthy. Yeah, so I feel like, if anything, that's the thing that creeped me out the most. Like, mm-hmm. did he get a dirty sock, or was that sock just dirty from constantly being worn? Or I feel like it might be the latter, because he has that thing on all the time. I mean, he yeah. wore it to the water park. Yeah. So, I'm hoping that's how it happened. <laughs> he did some random dirty sock, like, hey, this is... Yeah, kind of the Mom, don't, of Walmart. don't throw that in the laundry. I'm going to make a puppet out of it. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, so we have this really nice, like you said, sweet bonding moment. They have fun together. They go get some ice cream and Gary tells 
Lucas a little bit about how he never he he never really knew his dad, and that's why it's sort of all this means so much to him. And then Lucas mentions, oh well, my dad is wanting something called full custody. He talks to me all the time, and he's like, okay, so Satan is definitely talking to this child. <laughs> and all of a sudden, at the the snap of a finger, an Amber Alert happens. The police come, they arrest Gary, and all of a sudden, the CPS lady shows up. Yep. She's a, she was part of the thing all along. She's mm-hmm. she's a bad lady. She's one of the cult people, and also simultaneously, Sam is taken by old crusty crab, old crusty crab, nunnery smelling reverend, and uh, they go ahead and they get taken to this church nunnery that he had bought, and so commences another satanic ritual that happens. Another thing, how how do all these satanic stuff, like, have so many members? I feel like, yeah. for, it seems like it's a small town, there's a good mm-hmm. amount of people who are, you know, <laughs> Satanists there. Yeah, I mean, like, did they put out a Craigslist ad or something for, like, surrounding counties as well? Because there are quite a few yeah, people. Yeah, I mean, I feel like... I don't know very many Satanists myself, but I feel like if I did, they'd make it more notable and more recruiting, because I feel like their recruiting efforts are pretty piss poor, because like I said, I'm a metalhead. I like Mm -hmm. music about the devil and stuff like that, (laughs) and yet I've been, you know, recruited zero times by, you know, Satanists, so maybe I'm just feeling kind of left out here is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Yeah, so, if anyone wants to try and recruit John... I'll go your Satanic ritual, just because I think it'll be badass. (laughs) So if you need you need an extra, maybe someone like yeah. gets sick and can't go, they've caught yeah. COVID uh, or whatever. Oh, like, I'll, I'll even go get the goat's blood. I now I want to go to Satanic Ritual. <laughs> Thanks, Callie. Yeah, sorry for making you realize you've missed out on something I really know. big in your life. That sounds awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. Goat blood, having someone tied down to like this rock bed. Killing, killing a little kid. Killing a little kid. I mean, what what, what, what more can a guy want? Yeah, what more can you ask for? So as we just described, that's literally what is in the process of happening. All the while we have the stepdad group. And the badass El Camino. Mm-hmm. Listening to Rush. Uh-huh. Yeah, Gary's gotten away from the cops. He's got his crew with him. They're in the El Camino. The, the, they're like, oh, can you make this jump over the cop cars? Look at that thing. It's up on, like, how, how high are those tires? They're like seven feet tires. Yeah, they're huge. Like, I would need a ladder to climb up there, which, I mean, that's not difficult with most things in life, but... They're huge. And, uh, yeah, they go over the cop cars and end up at the church nunnery thing. And they're trying to figure out ways to get in the building. Gary's like, oh, hello, I was the real estate agent. I'm the key master. Yeah. They go ahead and do that, and that's where where things get really real. They've gotten in. They're in the process of trying to help Sam. And would you go through and do what Gary did in this moment? I mean, it seemed like he didn't... <laughs> like one of my kind of complaints about this movie, I feel like the ending, like kind of movies like this, you're kind of finding the supernatural. Mm-hmm. How do you win? It just doesn't seem that satisfying. Like, yeah, you just took a baseball, threw it, hit hit Mr. Krabs in the head. Mm-hmm. Portal to hell opened up. You know, he grabbed Lucas by the arm. Yeah, they somehow fell in, but yet he somehow was strong enough to pull themselves out. Mm-hmm. I, I just feel like I that wasn't a very satisfying ending, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean they did the whole like Rose, I'll never let go of you, Jack moment. Yeah. He's like, I won't let you go, buddy. Yeah, but then like that huge vortex of fire. Yeah, comes the, how, how do they down. survive that while they're yeah. down in the pit? At least have the eyebrows scorched off. Yeah. No eyebrows were scorched off. Yeah. I needed a little more yeah. to that. So I agree with you in that for sure. Definitely would have, like, how would you like to have seen this end? Like, I don't know. That's the thing. Because I feel like when, it, when it's like normal people you know, against like the supernatural, like, mm-hmm. you know, against evil, the devil, like, how yeah. how do you win? Like, right? is he supposed to have like a vial of holy water and just like throw it down? Like, mm-hmm. is he supposed to fall down the pit and actually like punch Satan in the face? Yeah. Like, like how, how does a normal guy beat the devil? You mm-hmm. know? Besides in a rock off, like in, you know, Tenacious D, The Pick of Destiny. I, I think that's only, honestly, the only way you can do it. Yeah. So, that's it. It would have been so great if Jack Black just came into the scene. 
during that. Yeah, I just, I don't know how you would either because there's a lot of movies and TV shows about how to fight Satan, you know. Unless you, like, have something, you know, set up, which they really didn't have anything Mm -mm. set up. Like, oh, you know, you take the knife that you're supposed to stab the kid with and you actually stab Satan with it. Like, I don't know. You know, something like that. I just feel like the ending was kind of rushed and not Mm -hmm. very, you know, to my satisfaction. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That would have been a better take on it, you, you know. If if Satan would have, you know, had maybe embodied somebody, like maybe what if he, like, embodied that creepy, like, reverend guy? Yeah. You know? I would have been happy with that, you know, if mm-hmm. he's, like, pushed him in the pit and he died, and that's why, you know, everything got fixed. Yeah, because they, they really do leave that as a wide-open door. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, I mean, like, I mean, like, Jillian Lilly's character does punch him, and he does fall, but that's not what made everything better. It just sort of stopped. Yeah. You know? Was was Satan just like, oh, this is too much effort. I'm done. I want to, like, wreck yeah. havoc somewhere else. Like, Peace out. Exactly. This is taking too long. I'll try and get my son later when he's, like, 13. It's fine. I have forever an eternity to try and get him. Yeah, it just sort of is left there. I don't know. And then we, we do have, like, the happy ending of, like, Gary and Lucas together. They're buddy buddies. They do the Jubilee race, the soapbox race thing did you find that portion satisfying i sort of had like a recollection of heavyweights in that moment yeah yeah i was kind of happy you know that they kind of whatever look is like you know screw it who cares about the safety test let's go have fun and mm-hmm. i kind of like that just he wants to he wants to be a kid now yeah and i i like that too like you know from what we can tell there's no more creepy stuff happening but uh, yeah, I would have I would have liked to have maybe seen like one more creepy thing sort of in the background yeah. and just been like alluding to like there's more problems. Maybe today. maybe he uses his, you know, <laughs> his satanic powers to like make the other kids, you know, soapbox fall apart. Mm-hmm, something. Uh, so this this movie, I do feel like it's worth a watch. I think it's a fun fly under the radar movie. Their budget how much do you think they spent on this? Uh, actually, because just to look up the cast names, I actually saw the oh, You did? Okay, well, it was $7.5 million. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't know how much it grossed because Netflix bought it. Yeah. And they like to play their cards close to the vest. So uh, we have no idea. Um, but we do know that it has some pretty decent ratings. It has a 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb. 3 out of 5 on Common Sense Media. And a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, not too I mean, bad. I, I thought it was decent. Not mm-hmm. not the worst, not the best. My only issue, I feel like the jokes could have been punched up some more. I feel mm-hmm. like there could have been, I guess how I relate this movie is if you're going to do like a horror comedy movie is yeah. to scary movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those are kind of more in the line of, you know, uh, Airplane and The Naked yeah. Gun kind of over the top humor. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I felt like there could have been like some more, you know, punch up jokes like, one example I think would be funny if at his school he was the only one dressed up like that. Mm-hmm. And like the old school, you know, schoolboy uniform. If, yeah. if he like went to a public school and everyone else was dressed normal and he chose to dress creepy. I thought he did that. With no. other kids in uniform? Yeah, it was like a kind of, you know, they were, that was the dress code there. Oh, okay. I think I was just so distracted by him then. Because I, I think that would have been funnier, you know, if it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you see all the kids dressed normal and he's the only one dressed creepily like that. Yeah. Now... How would you have felt if we had maybe, like, a Nick Cage or, like, a Jim Carrey in this? Would that have helped at all? Because I think about, like, when you're thinking about energy in comedy, like, definitely Jim Carrey comes to mind. But also Nick Cage is just sort of fun to watch. I kind of liked Adam Scott's, you know, kind of straight man role in this. Mm Kind of, you know, everything being creepy around him. Like, he was the only one kind of, like, wait, like... Am I, am I the only one here who's not crazy kind mm-hmm. of approach? So yeah. I would have kind of kept him as a straight man and kind of mm-hmm. had everything else around him go crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do feel like Adam Scott does that really well a lot. Like, he did that in Parks and Rec all the time. That was his, his shtick. But, I don't know, maybe having Al as an actor that was maybe more like that. You yeah, know? you know, have more crazy around, you know, Adam mm-hmm. Scott's character, you know, would have worked better kind of, yeah. you know. What rating would you give it? Uh, out of out of out 10. of ten, I'd give it a five. Okay. I wasn't blown away. I wasn't dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. It was it was a good decent movie. You know, okay. Okay. I don't regret not watching it. You know. Yeah. Okay. The movie, unfortunately, it, it wasn't nominated for any awards, but it doesn't matter because we have the most important award that there is 
on the face of the earth. And that is our Oscar Mayer Wiener Award. All right, John, who are you going to give the gold, the hardware to this episode? So one thing I was really impressed by was all the locations for this movie, like mm-hmm. the house, like it was very kind of untouched from the 70s. Yeah. The nunnery, like I felt like all the locations were really good and like really kind of had a good vibe to it. Mm-hmm. So whoever the location scout for this movie was, they're going to get my award because I felt like, you know, they went to some really good places for this, you know, movie. Yeah, that's that's a good one. I like that. So my, because initially, like I liked, I really liked the character of Al. But I think I'd actually have to give it to a scene in particular, and that would be the therapy for the stepdad scene. Those actors just mesh really well together. I feel like they play off of each other's comedic timing really well. And, you know, it was just sort of, like, really cool to see Donald Faison back Mm -hmm. for a little bit. And the other actors that are in it, I've seen them all in something else as well. So I really, I liked that scene. But for you all listeners, if you would like to let us know who you would like to give the Oscar Mayer Wiener Award to, this is how you can get in touch. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at FRM Podcast. Email us at frmfan at gmail.com. And for that information and so much more, you can visit our website, frmpodcast.com. All right, now it's time for our sweet endings. This is where we give our favorite quotes from the movie. John, you you mentioned to me you, you may have a, a, a couple honorable mentions and yeah. then... Uh, you know, your favorite, go ahead with those. Oh, so there's a few I liked. I liked it when uh, Gary was, you know, trying to help uh, help Lucas up in the room, you know, trying to go to bed with the CP, whatever. CPS lady. Yeah, yeah. CPS lady was in there, and uh, the friend, you know, try reading him a book, you sack of shit. <laughs> that was a good one. And I liked it around the baseball game where Al said, uh, tell her sorry that you called her kid the Antichrist. I do that shit all the time. Sometimes he deserves it. <laughs> but my favorite was when they're inside the church and one of the stepdad say said they both punch really well, like when people run up to them in churches. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Well, mine is from Wayne during the stepdad's therapy session, and here's what he had to say. In the mirror, he was looking at himself knowing what he was doing shitting in my sock drawer and if you think i won't shit in his backpack now you got another thing coming i have it in the trunk i'm not saying we have to do it but so that's my quote i just really love that therapy session well that's our episode of little evil thank you john for joining me thank you listeners for joining us also thank you to kenny and ned for providing the music for a podcast for Chris Woods, your art skills for our logo. And also, if you like the podcast, you have something positive you'd like to share with us, please, I'm going to do the shameless plug right now. Rate, review, subscribe, or just tell your friends. Just just get the word out. The fact that we see our numbers continuing to grow is just really, really fantastic. We're excited about it. We're glad that you're here with us for the ride. So definitely join us next time. We do have a tease coming up for that next episode. So stay tuned and have a great one. Demon dogs, Mr. Stay Puffed, and a god from another dimensional plane wreak havoc on New York City. But don't fear because the Ghostbusters are here. Join us as we break down the 1984 classic in the next installment of the Foodies Reviewing Movies podcast.